Hello, hello everyone. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Today, once again, is an open mic show. Feel free to call at any time, even while I'm talking, at 888-874-4888. If you're dealing with some mental or emotional challenges or physical illness, I may be of help or give you some ideas of how to seek help. What is in Dr. Peter Resnick's toolbox? Well, there is a body of knowledge. And remember, knowledge is understanding gained through experience. So I had the experience of utilizing the tools from this box and found that they indeed work. So there is a body of knowledge that can allow us to understand our emotions, understand how emotions are affecting our bodies, how to create our outer world, that is our environment and our relationships. And finally, how we can make positive changes in our emotional life, in our physical bodies, in our environment and in our relationships. And all this can be done through our God-given or nature-given, if you are more comfortable with this origin, all this can be done through will or willpower, reason, intuition, imagination, and night dreams. These are the primary tools with which we arrived into this world. Nobody invented them. You were born with them all. The overall title of what I do is Mind-Body Integrative Therapy. So once again, you're welcome to call anytime with uh, any question or comment at 888-874-4888. And if you have a night dream and you want to share it, remember, we have our last Tuesday of the month, that is next Tuesday, February 28th, all dedicated to night dreams. If you can prepare your dreams uh, or your questions about your night dreams, I will be glad to address them if you call. And if you cannot call, you can write a question or comment on my email. It's drpeterresnik at gmail.com. G-R-P-E-T-E-R-R-E-Z-N-I-K at gmail.com. But please do not send me the dream itself, the content of the dream. I cannot do anything with it. Because remember, in order for me to work on someone's dream, I have to ask them questions. Because what something means to me is not what something means to you. The same thing, you know, whether it's like a horse or a lake or sea. Somebody, for example, uh, who, who nearly drowned in the sea, for them, uh, the meaning of the sea can be dread or dying. And for me, the sea is joy, pleasure, my childhood, growing up, friendship, all this is connected because I grew up in the sea. So it all depends on what something means to you. That's how we work on dreams. Anyway, I received a couple of emails. Thank you for your emails and, and good words from Jack. Uh, but also I received an email from Gwen and she says she 
listens to these shows, but after the show is over because she uh, she's working at 2 p.m. on Tuesdays. So Gwen sent this email with a question. When a group of people or a person are wrong or is wrong about something and they know that they're wrong and they go ahead and try to demonstrate through bullying or through uh, piling up false evidence to show that they're right. So in the question is how to deal with these people. What a timely question, Gwen, because I actually was planning today to talk about this, this phenomenon uh, it's called stubbornness. But before I talk about stubbornness, in general, um, stubbornness that you experience from others, or if you find yourself being stubborn, before I talk about that, I would like to say something specifically in response to Gwen's request. Uh, there is a possibility, always a possibility, even though you say what people know they're wrong and they're arguing. Yeah, they may be stubborn and that's maybe an issue. But there is always a possibility that somebody is arguing because they sincerely believe that they're right. So if you know 100% that there is a specific body of information, data, and they are aware of it, and they're still arguing, then definitely are stubborn. But there is a possibility people just have a, a different way of interpreting something, and they are totally convinced that they are right. If, if, that, if you find that that's the possibility, you have to accept this view that uh, there may be several truths, and it's a matter of interpretation. And you must consider the option when people agree to disagree, still accept each other. You know, very often I heard this uh, expression. In fact, I saw it in, in, in a movie uh, many, many years ago, probably 50 years ago, back in the Soviet Union, there was a movie and, and the, one of the actors, I think it was an actress, uh, said, it's so wonderful to be understood. And then it kind of became a slogan that people used to explain what they what they need. And this was to be understood. But as I contemplated on that uh, idea that it's so important to be understood, I came to conclusion. And, and again, uh, uh, years passed and I became a therapist and uh, observed how people interact with one another and what makes them happy, what makes them miserable. So I came to conclusion that it's not that important that people understood you, meaning it's good if you understood. That's, that's very nice, but that's not the most important because, because people may have different life experiences, different education, um, and so therefore, they may understand things differently. The important thing is that they respect your choice, even if they don't understand it. In fact, maybe you even heard me already speak about it when I spoke about relationships. When you disagree with someone, 
uh, and they want you to do something or not to do something. And you begin to give them arguments because you try to make them understand your position. I believe it's not that useful because they may not understand your position. And again, if you are certain that you can get through to them, that's fine. But there is always a possibility they will not understand But for the reasons I listed before. The important thing, if this person is your friend, this person will respect your choice, even without understanding why you choose one thing or the other. I've seen this in, in you know, working with couples sometimes. Just imagine the scenario. He is a lawyer, and let's say she's an artist, and she says, I want to do this and this, because it's an impulse. It comes from the heart. She's a creative, artistic, and she says, I want to do this. And he goes, why do you want to do that? And she begins to use basically his language, meaning, oh, I want to do it because of this, 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 and this. She gives him four points. And he's a lawyer. His job is to, to argue or litigate. Or he, he's a trial lawyer. And he begins to, he looks at her arguments and he beats her arguments. He offers his counter arguments and they are logical. They are perfect. And therefore, both decide to act upon what he suggested rather than her. But she walks away more than likely still dissatisfied. Because it's not about logic, it's about what feels right. So I always discourage people from arguing and proving why they want things to be done the way they want. And simply say, I don't know why. Because in truth, you're not lying when you say I don't know why. More than likely, you do not know the whole picture. Yes, you may be affected, your, your decision, your desire to do or not to do may be affected by something that you do know, and maybe there are other things, unconscious motives, that you have no idea about. Or maybe your genetic structure, your, your genetic memory, something happened with your ancestors. Or if you believe in past lives, from past life, who knows what affected us and what went into this decision that you made or this desire that you have. So you, you are not wrong if you say, I really don't know, but it feels right. Then a person who, who, who cares about you will not say, oh, I want you to stop feeling, use your brain. No, feels right. That's it. And if they respect what feels right to you, then they will, they will accept it. And if they don't, now this is a message. It's a problem. Anyway, so uh, let's talk about stubbornness now. And I hope Gwen will be able to get something of our talk. Uh, and utilize it in her situation. Because again, because Gwen is not talking to me, uh, I cannot ask her questions would, which would lead me to a better understanding of her situation. So stubbornness. Here's what I, I, when I decide, yeah, why did I decide to talk about stubbornness? Remember, we are still trying to cover my upcoming book, Six Pillars of Well-Being, we cover the four pillars, we are now on the fifth pillar, our conscious beliefs and attitudes and character traits. And we already covered, I, I don't know, I think already uh, 19 or 20 different traits or, or modes of being, call it uh, judgment, expectation, doubt, greed, arrogance, and so on. 
and now we need to cover stubbornness. So I have my ideas from my experience, but also I decided to look up in, uh, on the internet what they say about stubbornness. Here's what I found. Stubbornness is often a sign of insecurity and a way to hold on to a very fragile mental equilibrium. Truly strong people know how to compromise when necessary. How true, <laughs> how true it is. Stubborn people are often fearful of change, which explains the rigidity that characterizes much of their behavior. Uh, I, I absolutely agree. I think it's very nicely written. Uh, and it's so, so true in most situations. Um, there was a, I, maybe he, he, he is alive, uh, but I, I read it a long, long time ago. There was a book written by Herbert Marcuse. Uh, the book's title was One Dimensional Man. And he wrote, people recognize themselves in their commodities. They have become what they own. They have become what they do. And I would, I agree with him. Um, and we can add, they have become what they say, what they think. Uh, and if one is to challenge a quote, I am what I say person, then one is threatening that person's very identity that person's very existence, then for that person to prove that you are wrong is fighting for that person's survival. Um, so here's what you do. I think what you can do if you encounter someone who is stubborn. Again, stubborn means that they understand, they understand that there is another option. Not necessarily they're wrong, that there is another view. And yet they insist, you, see, you already know that they, are, they understand or they read or they somehow learned the other option and they understand that that option is yet another option. And yet they insist on their way. Um, and let's say they are stubborn, but you, you are absolutely convinced that your choice is the right one. And they keep insisting on their position only because they're stubborn. So then do not, I repeat, do not try to convince them, them that what they say, what you say makes sense and what they say it doesn't make sense. Remember, like I said, it's like you are assassinating their very existence. You cannot try to prove them incorrect, remember, because they are attached to being right. That's their identity. Simply repeat to them their viewpoint. Remember, not yours, but their. And say something like this. I understand this is a view that is quite different from the one I presented. And then you repeat your position. So remember, you first repeat the position of that person, and then you repeat your position. And then you say, well, you decide on what you want to do. 
And if you choose to follow your choice, I will respect your choice. And I hope you do the same for me. Respect my choice, because it will be different. Why to do that? Because if a person or persons are intelligent and understand that your position may be right or may be as right as there, but they need to survive, to save face, so, so to speak, in their own eyes, by declaring your respect to them, no matter what choice they make, you help them to maintain their wounded ego intact. You understand? There is no assassination anymore. And that seems to be the main objective of stubbornness, for them to prove I am important. What I say matters, you see. I want, I, I'm compelled now to pause and to, to let somebody call. If you, ladies and gentlemen, if any of you want to call, make a comment or have a question on any subject about health, well-being, wellness, you're welcome to do this now. Okay? In any case, never makes, make someone's story your story. You understand? A person may have the need for something, and they, they, they're stubborn, or they're belligerent, they, they're trying to insult you, they're trying to show that they're tough. It's okay, as long as you recognize whatever they're doing, and you look and say to yourself mentally, this is this person's story. This person may be unhappy, or had a bad morning, or has problems understanding reality, whatever it is, when they act out or they attack you, remember this is their story, till you say to yourself, how dare he or how dare she, and you begin to fight them. Even if you don't do it outwardly, you just do it inwardly, begin to feel this righteous indignation, how can they do this? This is it. You got involved, it becomes your story. But it doesn't have to. Those of you who wrote, uh, who read my article on judgment, remember, people are who they are. The world is the way it is. It's not against you, it just is. And it doesn't mean that you have to always live with it. You can put your energy to create positive changes if you want. But just resenting what is, is counterproductive. You're just losing energy. Again, I repeat, you don't have to accept something that you don't like. It's just you don't need to resent it. You just acknowledge without judgment. It is not something I want to be a part of. But if somebody else does, that's perfectly fine. If somebody is interested in hearing your opinion, you can voice it. In fact, on, on many occasions, when people speak about something or share, and particularly that they know what I do, uh, and I have acquaintances, it's not good friends, but acquaintances with very opposing views. And sometimes they would share something, and I would say, literally, I repeat to you word by word, I would say, are you just sharing or are you interested in feedback? 
And only if they say, I would like, yes, I would like to hear what you have to say, then I speak my mind. And if they are interested in arguing, I am absolutely not interested in arguing. If I'm interested in the information, I will listen. And I will ask questions, I will ask them to clarify, but not arguing. I'm not trying to convert anyone or to convince I'm right. They, I assume that people are grown people, adults, and it's when, when I talk to adults. So they form their own beliefs and opinions, and they have right as much to their views as, as I have to mine. That's why, in fact, I have to say any arguments, for example, or what they call holy war or, or fighting uh, someone on spiritual basis, you know. Um, and we know so many, so many lives were lost and so many wars happened because of religion. People believed those people are wrong, we are right. But if you think those, oh, we have, oh, I have Michael from Manhattan, wonderful, I can pause now. Uh, I will take Michael's call. Michael, you're on the air. Hello, Michael. Yes. yes, hello, doctor. How are you? I am good, Michael. Thanks for calling. You have a yes, comment yes. or a question? Uh, yes, yes, doctor. Uh, I just tuned in. I just realized you, you, you're on the air. Uh, you're on today. I uh, want to ask you, uh, um, it's not related to what you're talking about, but I want to ask you uh, about uh, opiate treatment for opiate addiction. Hey, uh, doctor, uh, are there any new types of treatments for opiate addiction besides the regular uh, methadone and, and that other one? I uh, don't remember the name of it, some pill they give you. Uh, any other thing that deals more with the, maybe with the uh, psyche, the mind of, of, of the user, you know, instead of addicting the, the person to a, another drug like methadone? Yeah, um, Michael, uh, okay, it's such a good, thank you for calling and asking this question. Thank uh, you, doctor. So, so many people, so many people now turn to drugs. It's been such challenging three years, particularly the, the drug addiction went up. I cannot say exactly what percent, but so many people now started using drugs and, and plus people who used them for a long time. I... I have to say, there are, uh, methadone is, is yet another heroin. Yes, yes, it, doctor. That's why I asked. It's like addicting the poison to another drug, just as yeah, bad. Yeah, Michael, it's almost like I feel, and I know a lot of people who were on methadone, uh, it's almost like this methadone is a society's way to protect itself against the heroin user who will otherwise will go and try to rob a pharmacy and so on. Because basically, if you know, they, they actually give a high, quite high dose of methadone, very freely allowing a person to go up and up and up and up and up till they yes, already yes, saying yes. that's enough. And then very yes. slowly yes, they go down. It, it takes sometimes not months, but years. And meanwhile, yes, it's yes, destroying sir. a person's life. I can tell yes. you, uh, uh, 
couple of things. Let me just inject one thing, Doctor. Uh, also, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, another uh, um, cash cow. The um, treatment program makes big, big millions of dollars, millions of big, big money. The pharmaceutical companies, I think, they get from the methadone, and the clinics are making crazy, crazy money. I know, Michael, I know, I know. It's a tragedy. But we have to do something. We have to do what we can do. So let me tell you what my approach would be. Or over the years when people called me, that would be uh, my approach. I would refer people, one, a person needs to be under observation of a physician. And a physician who is open-minded and and ready not to just send the person to the usual way. Okay, go to methadone clinic. No. You also need to have a nutritional support. There are wonderful vitamins and nutrients that build a person's immune system. I remember when I was um, working at the Shakta Center for Complementary Medicine, uh, and we would see somebody who was uh, addicted to opiates, we would put them on very high doses of vitamin C. Uh, and But the addiction is not only uh, a physical addiction, it's mental and emotional addiction. Yes, 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 indeed. Yeah, there is, that's where I come in. Uh, there, there is a reason, and I said it already uh, on this uh, show a number of times, there are two major reasons people get addicted to drugs. One is greed. Greed meaning uh, kids introduce to other kids to some some substance, and then let's say marijuana, and it feels good, but somebody says, oh, but you have to try this, and it will make you feel even better, and try Oxycontin. Okay, they begin to use Oxycontin, then it's not enough, they want more Oxycontin, and it's expensive. So then somebody says, oh, you know, but if you get a, a little bit of heroin, it's better than Oxycontin, and it costs much less. And so that's how they graduate. So that's why, why I call it the greed impulse. They desire to feel better, more intoxication at the expense of your body and your sanity. But there is another reason people get to go into drugs, and that is denial. And it works, meaning something is bothering them in life. And for some time, when they use drugs, they escape that pain. Uh, in the beginning of 20th century, psychiatrist Carl Jung said, neurosis is always a substitute for legitimate suffering. Neurosis is always a substitute for legitimate suffering. In this situation, let's go look at neurosis as a, a, an addiction, which means people get addicted to escape, to substitute legitimate suffering. Legitimate suffering, let's say, would be to address an issue with your parents that you're fighting with, or to, to address loneliness, or to address, uh, to confront a person in a relationship which is abusive, whatever is bothering a person, instead, they begin to drink, or to begin to use drugs. And indeed, it numbs them down from away, takes them away from dealing with the real issue. And meanwhile, this substitute becomes a bigger issue even than the, the one that they were trying to escape. So number one step, I actually have a whole write-up. And Michael, you can send me an email 
and um, and I will send you gladly send you this write up. Twelve steps, not twelve steps like Alcoholic Anonymous, but my uh, understanding of twelve stages of overcoming addiction. And so you you go step by step. One, you address the issues that are bothering you. Uh, another one is you get someone to help you. You rely on people. You create for yourself a team of people who truly care about you and su- will support you. And uh, you make it impossible for yourself to go back, meaning you, let's say if a person, um, and again, I don't know if you're asking about yourself or somebody else, a person usually has suppliers. And this when, once you decide to stop, you have to prepare yourself. You cannot stop right away. Uh, in fact, people who, particularly if you people use heroin and suddenly they stop, they may go in coma. It's quite dangerous. That's why I say they need to be under observation of a physician. Uh, and they, nutritionists, that's when nutritional supplements help a lot. So I would not recommend just to, to get off something like heroin uh, on your own. Decide and you tough it out. Even though many, many years ago, I actually, I had a relative who was on methadone, uh, excuse me, on heroin. And because of what I do, and then it, I, I'm talking about like 35 years ago, uh, his mother said, please, please help. And I said, okay, let, let me, let me uh, get an assurance from this person. And this person told, and I said to this person, you sell your soul. For two weeks, you give up your freedom to make any decisions. If you want to go, it's like you're in jail. That's only the only condition. I will help you. I will you move in with you into your mother's house. Your mother uh, and his mother was had a, a place to go somewhere else. So I said, I will live with you for two weeks, but you in front of your mother, you say you give up your right for independence, which means if you need to go to the bathroom, you say, can I go to the bathroom? If you need to open a refrigerator, you say, can I have a snack? And so on. So, and I actually stayed for two weeks with this person and it was very tough. You know, it was no vitamins, no, what I recommend now, this was a long, long time ago. I didn't know what was available. So that was way before I started working at the Shakta Center for Complementary Medicine, way before I learned the richness of nutritional supplements. So, and this person really suffered and cried and said, let me, I cannot take it. And, And eventually after like six, seven days, it became better. And after two weeks, we went through this crisis. We went, a person was clean. Then still a person, this man had to go to rehab, still a lot of help was needed. But so I personally have the experience one time getting somebody off heroin. But but as I said, right now, I wouldn't do it just because simply there is so much more available. But it is not methadone. I I would not recommend uh, uh, to anyone now methadone. I I would suggest psychological support, uh, support of 
one or two people who really care about you, possibly changing the environment in which you live. Oh, I completely forgot. Oh, God. Michael, you're here? Yes. Yeah, yeah Michael. Oh, I, sh- I forgot. I Many, many years ago, oh, that was way, my children are grown now. Uh, I actually met somebody, a, a female, who was on drugs and could not get to, and, and she was saying, I, all I need to do is to go downstairs and right on the corner is my supplier. And I discussed it with my wife. This woman was from a different country. And it's like a tragic story. You know, she became a call girl uh, and paid for drugs with her body and so on. And she said, I'm trapped. So, and I really felt bad and for her. And I spoke to my wife and we said, okay. And we lived in Rockland County outside of New York where there were no suppliers of drugs. And actually she, she moved in with us. She stayed with us for three weeks. Again, slowly getting off drugs. And then eventually I connected her father and he came from a different country and picked her up. And I used to now, I don't know where she is, but I used to get cards from her uh, thanking us and so on. So this was, so I actually have two cases where we took a person of drugs, um, heroin actually, without even any supplements. But again, now there is much more available. If, even if you go on the internet and say alternative ways to get off opiates, and you will have many, many alternatives. Uh, or again, I send me, a, please, um, an email, say, this is Michael, uh, send me the write-up on overcoming addiction, and I will be happy to send it to you. And then you go through, read step by step, decide if you or, or whoever, you know, if it's for your friend, um, whoever wants to get off the drugs, if they don't understand anything, please feel free to send me an email. I will gladly talk to you or or write to you. And I will, I think I, I, I it's possible to stop. It's possible. I've seen so many people stop. And unfortunately, I've seen a couple of people die. Uh, people that I knew, uh, because wow. because they got sucked in, and uh, and you know, one time you take overdose, and this is it. This is it. Yeah. So I'm That's glad right. that you called and and you asked this question. I hope it it gives yeah. you some insight. And again, I will do everything I can to help you or your friends uh, if I, you stay on. I, I will. I will email you. Thank you so much, Doctor. You're very welcome, Michael. Thank you for calling. Okay, bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we had a little interlude, uh, and I'm glad Michael called. Oh God, you know, I, I think I even had one time here on the on this show uh, talk about um, of, of addictions. Yeah. I'm not sure, maybe it was a couple of years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. If this is uh, something that interests you, if you have more questions, if I didn't cover something, uh, please write to me or call me. I would be happy to put some uh, material together and speak about it again. This uh, answering to Michael was just spontaneously you know, going 
of the subject. So let's go back now to stubbornness, unless somebody else calls. And again, uh, you're welcome to call. Uh, it, it, you know, it always, it always kind of touches me when people call, or when when clients call me with talking about addiction. I tell you why, because I met I met young people on drugs, and I would say to them, "Oh, let me see somebody." Gwen from Manhattan is online. Oh, I am happy to answer. Hello, Gwen. You're on the air. Hi, Dr. Resnick. Hi, Gwen. <laughs> I love that little drop thing you have when somebody calls. Yeah, are <laughs> you the one who wrote the, the email about stubbornness? Yes. yes. How many Gwens are there? There's not very many of us out there. Of course right. it was me. So, <laughs> Gwen, did I... Did I answer your question or I didn't? Uh, no, I didn't even, I didn't get a response from you. That's why I'm calling to see if you can give me the, this Oh, you just dynamic. tuned in? You just tuned in? Uh, no, I was listening for a while and then I got a telephone call. Uh, so I had to come Grant, back. Because I actually spoke about Oh, I, I heard about you. You were talking about addictions. I know about that. And oh, no, no, so no, I, no, no, Gwen. In the beginning of the show, I don't want to repeat. I don't want to repeat because of people are listening. But I spoke mm-hmm. about different... Um, I gave few options to to oh. your question, and so I oh. want you, after the show uh, tomorrow they will uh, post it on my on my site. Yes. you okay, listen good. because I spoke about it. Now I will already okay. in the second part. So okay, first I spoke fine. like answering specifically to Gwen question, Gwen's question. Oh, <laughs> so. that's so nice of you. Thank you. I've been working, and that's why I haven't been able. It's been sporadic, so most of the time I have to come home and listen to you, but that day I had off, so I wanted to, well, yeah. I, I don't know, that, that I, dynamic. I, I said we it to people, have, actually. Gwen to... cannot join us because she's working now, so it's a nice surprise, Gwen. But do, <laughs> do go back uh, and listen to the first six, seven minutes of the show. I talk about it. And again, possibly, maybe I did answer, maybe I did not answer your question. But okay. now I'm on the second part talking about um, key points on how to not be stubborn if you are stubborn. But before I spoke <laughs> about stubbornness, experiencing stubbornness received from, uh, from others. Okay, thanks mm-hmm. for calling, okay. Gwen. I'm happy to hear your voice, as always. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, doctor. Bye. You're welcome. Bye bye. So, so what? So we spoke about now. If you are uh, situations, if you if you are encountering someone stubborn, but when we spoke about uh, six pillars of well-being, and the fifth pillar being character traits, and stubbornness also can be something that you are dealing with in your own life. That is, that's your problem. If you if you recognize that you're stubborn, <laughs> that's already your winner. Why? Because if you are recognizing that something is a problem, it's half half of, of the way of getting rid of that problem. Because so many people, there is such thing as denial. I already, I think I spoke about it. It's a whole character traits where people hide from issues. They don't want to admit to themselves. So if you see uh, that you are stubborn. First of all, stubbornness can be can have upsides, but you will need strategies to work around the downsides. 
you can learn practical strategies to deal with your stubbornness when needed. Uh, but, you know, uh, I would say Thomas Edison was a stubborn guy. No? Uh, he, remember, he was um, experimenting with making a bulb, and the journalist asked him, um, how was it for you? You, how many times did you uh, try to make the bulb, attempt to, to make it work? And he said over 500 times. And the, the journalist said, how did it feel failing 500 times? And he said, I didn't fail ever. Each time I discovered what way was not working to find a way that would work. That's quite stubborn, 500 times. So you can call it willful, you can call it um, persistent. So that's a wonderful part of, of stubbornness. What we don't want to manifest in this world is stubbornness that is toxic. Uh, but let me say a couple of words, still positive words about stubbornness. Um, if a person is stubborn or persistent, let's say, um, it can be a, a source of great creativity. Let's say you are committed to doing something your way. You don't want to follow the old, remember Robert Frost, and I chose the road less traveled, and that made all the difference. You want to do it your way. You might need to get creative to achieve it. Since you don't want uh, to back down, you do it and you, you are looking for possible creative solution and you find it. That's where your stubbornness is very useful. But even though there can be some upsides to stubbornness, sometimes you will need to work around the, the downsides of this stubbornness. Um, here, there are several uh, ideas you can use uh, if, if you find yourself being stubborn. Now, how would you know that you're stubborn if it doesn't come from you? If somebody told you, if your spouse, if your friends, uh, and several people who did not conspire together to announce you being stubborn, more than likely they are right particularly of people who, who care about you. Uh, so the first, so if you decide to work to, on becoming, what's the opposite to stubbornness? Flexibility, open-mindedness. The first step, more than likely, you are not stubborn in every single situation. So number one is you identify who you are willing to listen to. Who are you willing to take advice from, to hear feedback from? Think about people that you admire. And uh, think what other people are lacking or what other people do not have that these people have, that you are willing to listen to them. And again, I remind you what I uh, what I said uh, in the beginning of the show when I was responding to Gwen's request. Remember that there are there is a possibility there are several truths 
which means there is truth according to one person because it's this person's life experience and education and mental and emotional background and there is another one and that is your view your education your experience your genetics so it can be two different uh, ideas so you have to accept that possibility the second identify when you are willing to listen not only who you are willing to listen to as as point one but when when is it that you are listening when are you willing to accept someone's feedback that is you may find that uh, when it's not a serious issue not a life and death situation or health related situation when it is uh, something hmm, not so important uh, you you argue but when it's something very important when it when it's like an issue of your health you're not stubborn so then you understand that really you are not being honest you are not honest you are stubborn only when you can afford when you cannot afford it you're not stubborn you're compliant so this you have to uh, make a decision that will be also a, a reinforcement for you for your desire then to to stop the stubbornness so possibly you know one of the answers may be when, when you are willing to listen uh, and not to insist on yours on your opinion perhaps it's when you ask for someone's opinion uh, so then you may really be stubborn because you do not like unsolicited advice and it may be stemming from some kind of experience, early experiences where uh, an opinion of someone like a, a, one of your parents was imposed on you and so on you have to recognize that what possibly worked for you or was important 20 years ago maybe it's not important at all today and you are still acting habitually uh, the number three identify the ways in which stubbornness feels self-protective which is like stubbornness uh, is anxiety based because somebody suggests something and and you're afraid you're afraid um, let's say let me give you an example you want to do something perfectly and you won't bend because you are worried that it's not perfect you will feel horrific but then you have to again work with judgment because that that stubbornness discloses something for you you are discovering through stubbornness really perfectionism and that's a, a very serious problem because a perfectionist is constantly judging himself and herself and you cannot do things nobody can be perfect nothing can be perfect so sometimes even people become paralyzed and they choose not to do anything because they are afraid that no matter what they do it will not be good enough no what is good is your best best shot so 
again, as I going back to stubbornness, so a person may be stubborn and uh, insist on not doing something or doing something out of fear that if they do actually um, uh, something else than from what or, or do not do again, uh, the the results will not be good enough. So they are avoiding it altogether. And again, I would suggest very much you go on my, if you're dealing with this kind of uh, anxiety where let's say you're, somebody is insisting that you do something, but you are stubbornly refusing to do it. Question it. Is it really you don't do, want to do it or you don't want to do it because if you do it, uh, you, you're afraid that it's not good enough. If that is the case, I really recommend that you read my essay on judgment on my website. Because remember, there is no such thing as a failure. Only experiences. You do your best, and then you discover that you like what you did, or you may discover that you do, don't like. So then it's just a message to try again, and to try again. And no matter how much you try, nothing will be perfect. You, the, the, you can only give your perfect uh, uh, best shot at the time when you are giving it. And later on, you may look and say, oh, God, I could have done so much more. Now I know much more. Yes. And now when you know much more, you can do more. But then whatever you did in the past, you did to the best of your ability. And who you are today is, is a reflection of, of all your struggles and all what you call mistakes. But it's just experiences. Sometimes people are stubborn because uh, they also they don't want to be average. Uh, like some people are afraid to be like everybody else, so they want to stand out. But that's that's a little bit stubbornness out of arrogance. You you and and judgment again. You feel that you have to look to other people different. It, it, there is a lot going into it. It's also, we spoke about the need for approval, and you look better to yourself and to other people if you are different. So the, another thing about stubbornness, I would suggest that you have to identify when your stubbornness is at its worst. When you, uh, for example, your stubbornness may be the worst is when, when somebody doesn't recognize your skills or your knowledge. Uh, so once you know you are acting out because somebody doesn't recognize, instead of being stubborn or acting out, you can simply speak up and say, here what I did, and I would like you to notice it and and make your comment. That's all. And also identify one more thing. Identify when stubbornness is self-sabotaging. And that's sometimes self-sabotaging happens when a person is afraid of success, actually, and sometimes fear of 
being successful, fear of changing life. And so they would stubbornly not do something for themselves. Even they know in their friends, their family recommends that they do, and they don't do. Whatever is good for them, they don't do. And it's because they're, they're afraid what will happen if, if I do succeed. They're afraid of, of the, con it's more, less than, less fear of success, but more fear of the consequence of success. What will happen to me? How my life will change? All this, first, you have to understand in order to eradicate. Uh, in this way, stubbornness actually is a symptom. It's a little bell that rings and says to you, hey, pay attention. Pay attention. Something is going on. So that's, that's another way people may be stubborn. So every person in their own unique mixture is their own unique mixture of different qualities. And for some people, stubbornness um, is one of those qualities. Whatever your nature is, you can learn skills and strategies for managing it and understanding when particular qualities like stubbornness are serving you and when they're not. So that like with Edison, you know, or with any uh, great, probably Elon Musk is a stubborn guy, meaning he's flexible enough, probably he takes advice of many people, he learns a lot, but he's stubborn, meaning he's insistent. He doesn't stop when he sees a challenge. So there are definitely positive aspects of, of that, what we call stubbornness. But I believe, uh, being committed and insistent and flexible are the best qualities. Uh, and finally, if, um, if you encounter someone who has a different opinion, and you have an opinion that you're very attached to, and so they insist on their opinion, you insist on your opinion, you have to ask yourself, have I ever been wrong? It doesn't mean that you have to change your opinion, but you have to ask yourself, how have I ever been wrong? And most people will say yes. So you at least have to consider the, pos uh, the possibility that the other person could be right, or the other person's truth may be as valuable as yours, and you could be enriched by studying the other view, uh, point of view. Anyway, that's, that's all I wanted to say today about stubbornness. I don't see any callers, and it's time for us now to wrap up. Uh, next week, I remember we decided the last week, last show of the month, will be dedicated to night dreams. So please, please, if you are interested, write down your night dreams or you have questions about night dreams, and call next, next Tuesday I'm looking forward to having your attention, uh, Tuesday, uh, February 28th. And for now, thank you for your attention, uh, for your participation. Have a wonderful week. Be well, be in peace. Peace to all who want to live in peace. <laughs>